Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, as you know, we're talking about the words of the cross today, cross words. And um, uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson was a great British literary figure. He was, uh, he was known for making these kind of unique observations. And on one occasion, he said, hanging wonderfully concentrates the mind. <laughs> hanging wonderfully concentrates the mind. In other words, uh, the thought of getting hung by your neck uh, has a way of really getting your attention. Well, um, so does getting crucified. And uh, I want you to think with me today about two men, thieves or criminals, um, who were facing the fact of their own death by crucifixion. And Again, let's just try to imagine this scene together, okay? Uh, Jesus had been tried, beaten, uh, and sentenced to death. Spikes had been driven in, uh, into his wrists and feet. He was attached now to a cross. He, he hung there um, slowly but surely dying. Bright sunshine had given away to... Uh, a dark, eerie, and an overcast sky. Jesus' enemies uh, have gathered to watch the spectacle. They mocked him. He saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? The scene uh, was full of hate, scorn, cruel laughter. But some of Jesus' disciples were gathered there too. And most of them were, were lost for words. Their hearts were broken. Their hopes were dashed. Their dreams destroyed. They didn't understand yet why Jesus had to die. They didn't grasp yet that by dying, Jesus became our substitute, that he, he paid the penalty for their sins, your sins, my sins. They didn't understand that yet. No, at this point in time, it was simply the worst day of their lives. Full of blood and suffering and death and unspeakable loss. So we are in what's called Lent, a 40-day period of time leading up to Easter Day uh, that Christians set aside to appreciate more fully the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we have the record of seven statements that Jesus made as he hung on the cross for some six hours. From the moment he was nailed to it right through to the moment that he died. So this series of messages for Lent is called Cross Words, Jesus' statements before he died. Last week, we considered the first statement, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we called the first crossword the word of forgiveness, the word of forgiveness. And let's read what happened next, okay? So I want you to go uh, with me today to uh, Luke chapter 23. 
And I want to begin reading in verse 39 and read through verse 43. So find it in the Bible there in a pew if you don't have one with you or in your own Bible or on your phone, whatever is easiest. And just follow along as I read this passage out loud. Luke chapter 23, and I'm beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's that's the crossword that I want you to think with me about this morning. And let's call it the word of assurance. The word of assurance. You know, there's, there's really great irony in this scene. Because while it's full of death, there's so much here about life. And while it feels hopeless, it offers the greatest hope possible. And while it's incredibly sad, it's also full of joy. And while it's it's ugly and wretched, it's also beautiful and wonderful. You know, it's interesting. Only Luke of the four Gospels recorded this conversation between the three crosses. Mark and Matthew mention the fact that two criminals were crucified with Jesus, but they didn't record the conversation for us. And John didn't mention it at all. Why why did Luke think it was important to put this dialogue uh, in his account? Well, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But but there is a sense that, that every person who has lived, who is living, and who will live in the future is either like the first thief or the second thief. Uh, Some people resemble the first thief in their attitude toward Jesus, and other people are are more like the second thief. And Luke uh, used the canvas of death to paint a profound portrait about life, the life that is offered in and through Jesus. Life that is given by Jesus. And so here's one lesson that emerges for me today. Real life begins by seeing Jesus differently. Real life begins by seeing Jesus differently. These two men were looking at the same person, but they saw Jesus in very different ways. What's the opposite of faith? Well, um, one answer could be doubt. But maybe a better answer is unbelief. Unbelief. And clearly the first thief looked at Jesus in complete and utter unbelief. 
All he saw was a man, Jesus, who deserved scorn and derision and skepticism. And he joined in with the mockers as they taunted Jesus. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Who did he see when he looked at Jesus? Well, he simply saw a battered, a defeated man who claimed to be something that he wasn't. He was someone who was too good to be true, a fraud, a fake, someone to be dismissed and laughed at. Perhaps he saw in Jesus a justification for his own choices in life. Why not steal? Why not hate? Why not kill? After all, here is what being good and holy gets you, Jesus, a cross. So he cursed and he despised Jesus. And you might be tempted to think this morning, wow, what a, what a horrible, terrible man this was, this first thief. Well, perhaps. But how sad it is that really most people in the world basically share his attitude toward Jesus. How's that? Well, at the end of the day, he refused to take Jesus seriously. And that really is the essence of unbelief, isn't it? I mean, un unbelief is the steady, determined refusal to take Jesus seriously. Now, folks, there are different kinds of, of, of unbelief, to be sure. And the thief's unbelief here, it was, it was hostile, it was angry, it was bitter, it was sarcastic. Um, and, and there are a few people who might have that kind of attitude toward Jesus, but it's far more likely far more likely that most unbelief is, is really kind of quite sophisticated and apathetic and tolerant. You see, most people in the world don't hate Jesus and despise Jesus. No, instead, most people simply consider Jesus to be irrelevant to their daily lives. He just doesn't matter. Uh, truth be told, that they, they could care less about Jesus and who he is and, and, and what he did. In other words, they, they refuse to take Jesus seriously, which is at the end of the day, the very essence of unbelief. And nothing grieves God's heart more than when you and I fail to take Jesus seriously. God the Father considers what his son Jesus did at the cross and at the empty tomb to be the most important event in human history. And to ignore the significance of what happened there and its implications for our lives is a failure to take Jesus seriously. Well, let me be specific about some of that. When, when you suggest that there are just really many pathways to finding God and that Jesus is just one of many good choices available to you, you refuse to take Jesus seriously because Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And yes, it is narrow. Of course, it's, it's exclusive. But that's what Jesus claimed about himself, and it's true. It's true. Or, or when you reject the explicit teaching of the Bible that Jesus' death on the cross was necessary to pay the penalty for your sins, when you reject that, you, you, you refuse to take Jesus seriously. 
perhaps you're offended by, by the fact that, that all of us are essentially unacceptable to an, to an absolutely holy God, so much so that Jesus had to intervene on our behalf. But, but if you continue to hold on to this pathetic lie that your own goodness, your own morality, your own effort can somehow impress an absolutely holy God, you're essentially refusing to take Jesus seriously and what he did, who he is and what he did. And refusing to take Jesus seriously can, can manifest itself in a whole lot of other ways too. It can even show up in us, followers of Jesus. Well, how's that possible? Well, I think sometimes, I think many times it's just a stubborn refusal to, to not be spiritually transformed, just to stay the way we are. You know, I, I want Jesus to forgive my sins, but I don't want to give up the sins that he's forgiving. I, I want Jesus to be my Savior, but I don't, know, I don't submit to him as my Lord. I, I, I want to be born again by the Holy Spirit so I can escape hell and go to heaven, but I don't really have any interest in being filled with the Spirit because that means daily surrender and obedience to Jesus. I mean, was Jesus really serious when he said hate is as bad as murder and lust is as bad as adultery? I mean, if, if Jesus was serious, why do we hold on to our resentments against other people or the sinful acts of, of, our, of our sinful nature? If, if, if Jesus was, was serious when he said that you can't serve God and money at the same time, how do we explain the fact that, that we still tolerate excessive debt in our lives or we refuse to tithe our income to, to the Lord's work? Was, was Jesus serious when he said we must seek his kingdom first and foremost? If so, why do we so often seek everything else first, financial security, career advancement, even the American dream, however you might define it? And so I think the question that you and I have to ask ourselves as we think about this story is, do we really take Jesus seriously? It's easy to dismiss that first thief and say, well, he's just a terrible person. Yeah, but look at his attitude. Do we really take Jesus seriously? You know, uh, we know that God wants us to use our spiritual gifts for his kingdom, but sometimes we insist on sitting on the sidelines when it comes to meaningful service in this church or maybe out in the community serving others in Jesus' name. Or how about this one? You, you know the Bible teaches that people who fail to put their faith in Jesus in this life face damnation in a place called hell. But surely, surely, surely God, God is going to make an exception for my spiritually lost kids, my lost parents, my lost friends, my lost neighbors. And if we truly believed that God is serious about heaven and hell, all of us and myself included, I think we would be on our faces more earnestly interceding for those lost kids, those lost parents, those lost friends, those lost neighbors. We'd be praying, oh, God, have mercy on them. Use me in their lives. Lord, don't let them go into eternity without you. 
And so, yes, the first thief refused to take Jesus seriously. True enough? No argument there. But here's the thing. Are you so sure that you are taking Jesus seriously or seriously enough? That was the first thief. Let's talk about the second thief. How was he different? Well, he looked at Jesus in faith, didn't he? And by faith. And, and yes, uh, he saw what the first thief saw, but he also saw some, someone completely different. He saw a man who was in extreme pain, asking that those who tortured him be forgiven. He saw a man whose mental and spiritual anguish far exceeded any physical agony. He saw the God-man bearing away the sins of humanity. And faith allowed that second thief to see beyond the helplessness of a mere man and recognize in Jesus the sacrifice of a Savior. What is faith? Well, to kind of follow our theme, it's the ability to take Jesus seriously in every dimension of life. We take him seriously. You face the fact of your own sinfulness and your lost condition before God, and as, as a result, you throw yourself upon God's grace and, and mercy. No, notice what the second thief said. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. What's that? That's repentance. No excuses. No rationalizations. No one else gets blamed. And notice what followed. The second thief turned to Jesus for salvation. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is it really just that simple to become a follower of Jesus? Here's the good news, folk. Yes. Yes. It's that simple. Because it's confirmed then and there by Jesus himself, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's ironic, isn't it? I mean, that was the day that the, the second thief died. It was also the day that real life began for this man. It was the day life began at death. He looked at Jesus in faith and found his Savior and his Lord. He took Jesus seriously. And friends, brothers and sisters, I want, help us to please remember what kind of person this second thief happened to be. This was not your ordinary run-of-the-mill sinner like you and me, okay? This was a convicted criminal. Human beings had, had now refused to forgive him or show him any pity. He was beyond human help. He was beyond human salvation. He was beyond any kind of human rehabilitation this world had to offer. But his failures and his faults were no obstacle for the saving power of God. No one, not, not even this dying thief, is too sinful for God and for his forgiveness. The power of God's grace is able to forgive your sins and change your destiny in a moment. I, I love that saying, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And, and this man had no opportunity to go out and live a good life. He had no opportunity to, uh, 
earn a spot in heaven. All he could do was just look at Jesus and faith and put all of his trust in Jesus. And it was enough. It was enough. Praise God, it's always enough. And this man might be the the best example in the entire Bible that you and me and anyone and everyone gets into heaven only because of God's grace, which we access through personal faith in him. Oh, and don't miss the implication because it's very important, folks. Anyone can come then just as you are and know that Jesus is going to accept you fully and freely. In fact, in fact, in fact, my friend, come as a lost, hopeless, and helpless sinner or don't bother coming at all. Come as a lost, hopeless, helpless sinner or don't bother coming at all. Some folks think that they're just... uh, too decent and deserving to need God's grace. Some people are just too respectable to repent. They don't need a cross. They don't need somebody dying for them to make themselves acceptable to God. But then you see, Jesus was never known as the friend of the respectable, was he? No, he was known as the friend of sinners. And that means that that when Jesus made a friend of Rick Bruch, He certainly didn't do so because I somehow deserved or merited God's grace and love. No, because Jesus only makes friends with undeserving sinners. That's the only one he ever saves. Stephen Baldwin is one of uh, the four Baldwin brothers who have been or still are Hollywood actors. His big brother, Alec Baldwin, is probably the one that that you recognize the most. Anyway, Stephen Baldwin, uh, his wife became a Christian back in 2000 and uh, told Stephen, I'm going to be serving Jesus now. And uh, baffled by her conversion, uh, Stephen thought, who does this Jesus dude think he is coming around here? (laughs) And then September the 11th, 2001 happened, and it proved to be a pivotal event in Stephen Baldwin's life. And what he thought was impossible happened on that day. And he began then to to rethink his dismissal of Jesus as irrelevant. And he said, "It, it made me say that the Bible is true and Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow. So has Stephen Baldwin's life changed since becoming a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah. His work as an actor has largely dried up by his own admission largely because he won't work in a film that includes adultery, violence, or profanity. Well, that cuts out most of Hollywood. He traded in his Porsche for a Chevy Malibu. He now spends his available time spreading uh, the, the message of Jesus. He directed, he hosted a DVD project aimed at reaching young people through extreme sports. And as for his marriage, Stephen and his wife have enjoyed a whole new level of unity and oneness, Stephen Baldwin became a new person because of Jesus. So what happens when you really take Jesus seriously? What happens when you respond to him and his claims in faith? 
does your life become problem-free? Well, Stephen Ball will tell you that no, it doesn't. Does your life become heartache-free, crisis-free? Of course not. Followers of Jesus are people who keep on, we keep on taking our sins to, to Jesus for forgiveness. We keep on bringing our hurts to him for healing. We keep on sharing our struggles with him for help. We keep on presenting our worries to him to obtain his peace. Nevertheless, a lot does in fact change when you take Jesus seriously. Like what? Well, your priorities change. Your goals change. Your passions change. You, you, your treatment of other people changes. You, you love your spouse more, your children more, your parents more. You, you begin to see the people in your neighborhood and your school and where you work for the mission field that those places are. And you know what? You even see your church differently. You, you appreciate the fact that, that the church isn't about you. It's about worshiping God and telling uh, him how you can, or asking him rather, to, to allow you to meet the needs of other people through him. And maybe most importantly, you realize that the church is just, it's just a hospital, folks, for hurting people. It's not some kind of a spiritual museum for perfect people. And all that and so much more happens when you begin to take Jesus seriously. You know, there's a there's a second lesson that emerges from this scene for me. Yes, real life begins when you see Jesus differently. But real life also results in enjoying Jesus eternally. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was, the, what was that second thief asking for? You know, no one, Bible scholars aren't exactly sure. They have debates about that. But it does make sense to me that probably at one level, he was simply asking Jesus to remember him sometime in the distant future when Jesus came back as the Messiah, the true king of Israel, and defeated all of Israel's enemies. I don't think that this thief had Jesus figured out by any means. I'm quite certain he wasn't expecting Jesus' response. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, that, that word for paradise that Jesus used, it wasn't accidental. It, it's actually a Persian word. And apparently it, it um, referred to sort of a, a private garden that could be surrounded by walls uh, often it was used to, to, to describe the inner courtyard in a king's palace. And so paradise was this uh, beautiful, restful, secluded uh, space in the palace where the king would invite his closest friends to come and just share life with him. And think about the implications of that. Jesus offered this, this wretched, dying man eternal life, true enough. But what kind of eternal life did Jesus promise? He offered intimate, close friendship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the courts of heaven forever and ever. And that's what God offered to that man, and that's what God promised. And I'm quite sure that's what that second thief got. That's what he experienced. 
And by the way, what's wonderful about that is that that's what Jesus offers to you and to me as well. Folks, I, I want you to just reflect again on who accompanied Jesus into heaven on that day. Who was it that Jesus took with him into heaven on that day? You know, this is exciting to me. Was it some great spiritual man of God like Abraham or Moses? Was it a great leader like King David? Was it a great prophet like Isaiah? Was it even someone like Paul who who likely died for his trust in Jesus, preaching, in other words, a martyr? No, 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 no. The man who accompanied Jesus into heaven on the day that salvation was secured for every human being was, at least from an earthly perspective, such a loser, a convicted criminal, someone who'd, who'd lived this worthless, wasted, unproductive life. And I believe that on the day that Jesus died, he took with him into heaven an initial specimen of everyone and anyone that he was going to save. Sinners only, in other words. It's as if he walked into his father's heavenly throne room on that day, his arm around that second thief and announced, Father, I bring a sinner with me. He's a good example of the rest I'm going to bring. You know, there's another lesson that emerges from this story for me. You don't have to die to start experiencing eternal life. God is life. And when you have God in your life, you already are experiencing eternal life at some level. Here's what the Bible says. And anyone who believes in God's Son has, present tense right now, has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. When when does eternal life really begin? Not when you die, but instead when you place your trust in Jesus to get you into heaven. And yes, death will change how you experience eternal life, to be sure. But that's not when eternal life begins. Eternal life starts when you place your trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit enters your spirit. You know, every now and then, it's um, fun to look through one of those um, gift books that you that you put on your coffee table, the ones filled with professional photos of... Uh, nature or, or tourist destinations. And for several days, this, uh, this one guy had a book open to a photo of the Grand Teton Mountains. How many of you have ever seen the Grand Tetons in person? Boy, that's a picture, isn't it? Just an just amazing view. And it was this extra wide photo that filled not only the, 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 the left page, but um, crossed the fold and took half of the page on the right. And it was just, you know, this majestic display, kind of like this picture of, of deep blue sky, rugged, uh, you know, gray snow-capped mountains, calm lake in the foreground. And, and one morning he decided 
to, to turn the page to the next photo. And as he did, he discovered that he had missed something important. The right page of the Grand Tetons photo was an extra long page that was folded over, and it was covering part of the overall picture. So, so when he opened up the entire picture, it not only revealed what was covered, but added another eight inches to this, this photo of the Grand Tetons. In other words, when, when the man opened the fold, he added inches upon inches to the width of that photo. Wow, and, and, and in that moment, the Grand Tetons became even grander. And the Christian life is a little bit like that. It, it, it happens when we discover that there is much more to God and his kingdom than we ever knew before. There's much more to his purpose for us than we could have imagined. You know, Abraham experienced that at the age of 75. God called him to go to Canaan. Uh, Moses at age 80, the apostle Paul when he was on the road to Damascus. And again and again and again in the Bible, uh, when God meets people, he opened up a glorious page for them that had previously been folded and hidden. That's the kind of life, the kind of eternal life that God offers to you and to me right now, today, and yes, after we die as well. You see, there's a whole lot of life that you can experience in this life before we die. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to enjoy the experience of living in Jesus and for Jesus. And the thief who trusted Jesus became spiritually alive on the day that he physically died. That's true. But you and I have been given the opportunity that he never had. What's that? To be physically and spiritually alive at the very same time. You, you can enter into eternal life while you're still living this earthly and we can and we should apply Jesus' words to our lives some 2,000 years later. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because you and I are invited into a kind of a paradise, even living here on this earth. You can live in a place where you are always totally accepted and deeply loved by the King of Kings himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place of constant refuge and retreat, and renewal. Christopher Parkening is thought by many to be the world's greatest classical guitarist. And he achieved that distinction at the ripe old age of 30. <laughs> um, interestingly, at the same time he was um, recognized as a world-class fly fishing champion. So he had these, these two amazing achievements in his life at a very young age. Best classical guitarist, champion, fly fishing, um, fly fisherman. Well, um, He, he did this for a while, and after, and after a period of time, he just, he just was very unhappy. He got tired of all the performances. He got tired of the, of the uh, recording sessions. And um, he, he bought a ranch, and he stopped playing the guitar altogether. Well, did that 
Did that make him happy? No. All it did was increase the sense of emptiness that he had in his life. Here's how he described that time in his life. He said, if you arrive at a point in your life where you have everything that you've ever wanted and thought that that would make you happy and it still doesn't, then you start questioning things. It's the pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow. I had that. I had that and I thought, well, what's left? Well, he went and he, he visited some friends and they took him to church. And the long and the short of it was is that Christopher Parkening discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was born again by the Holy Spirit. And um, he developed very quickly a hunger for Scripture. And one verse that really, that really stayed with him was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And um, so that's, what he, that's how he began to live. And he went back to, to, to playing the guitar. He said, I've, I've um, uh, he talked about it here. He says, I realized there was only two things I know how to do, fly fish for trout and play the guitar. Well, I'm playing the guitar today most absolutely by the grace of God. And then he added this comment. I have a joy, a peace, and a deep down fulfillment in my life that I never had before. My life has purpose. I've learned that firsthand the true secret of genuine happiness. What happened to Christopher Parkening? What happened was is that he began to experience eternal life even in the midst of his earthly life. Jesus said to the second thief as he hung on the cross, I assure you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Real life begins when we start to look at Jesus differently. And real life is enjoyed when Jesus eternally. And folks, that life can begin right now, today, as we live out our lives with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this crossword that we've talked about today, this amazing dialogue between Jesus and these two thieves crucified next to him. The one thief who refused to see Jesus for who he really was. And Lord, we recognize that there are so many people in the world that refuse to see Jesus for who he was and what he did. And Lord, the second thief who turned to Jesus in faith and said, here I am, God. Here, here I am. Take me as I am. And, and Jesus, you accepted him. And you gave him the, the, the gift of eternal life on that very day. And so, Father, we pray that um, as your followers this day and every day, that, that, we would, that we would live before you in a way that takes you seriously, your words seriously, your, your, your behavior seriously, your, your desires for us seriously. And then, Lord, help us just to live out each and every day 
that eternal life, even right now in our lives here, knowing that, yes, one day we'll, we'll die and we'll, we'll experience eternal life in a wonderfully new dimension, but that eternal life begins right now today when we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.